0: How's your summer going so far? I hope this time of year you have been able to enjoy a little bit of a slowdown in pace that seems to often come at this time of year. Even if you're not someone who's personally impacted by the school holidays, for many people the busyness of the rest of the year just seems to slow down at least a little bit in August. Now, that being said, I know that some of us here will not be experiencing a slower pace. Perhaps because of the demands of work, or maybe other responsibilities you have going on in your life, or maybe because you're just the kind of person who's wired just to keep going, just fast, you know, pedaling fast and keeping yourself busy. Many of you who will know me know that I was brought up in a household that believed in working hard, and um, I want to begin tonight by just giving you a glimpse into me as a young man, just some of my dysfunctions as it related to work and rest. So, following my graduation from university, I went straight to work and I worked in a jewelry manufacturing company, uh, making all sorts of uh, bits of jewelry, and I worked long days and I joined that company the day they got back, they got back from the two-week annual holiday. It was just 14 days holiday in the year. I started the day they returned. And I left a year later just before they're about to go on holiday. So, no holiday days at all. And I used to work at normally a 12-hour day with two 10-minute tea breaks and one half-hour lunch break in that time. And then I would get home and I would to the place I was living, and I had a little bench, jewelry bench, in the shed. And so I would spend the rest of the evening then working on making engagement rings, wedding rings, doing repairs for people. And I would see Debbie often at weekends. I'd hitchhike up to Nottingham. But... Um, I was very, really just very, very disciplined about my time, so there was one hour of television a week. Honestly, that's all I watched, one hour of television. It was Thursday. We're talking about 1982, so some of you weren't alive then, but some of you were. And you remember what was on on a Thursday night at 7 p.m.? Top of the Pops. So I would come in, i watch Top of the Pops, so i get back up again, i go out and carry on working until it was time to go to bed. We then got married. And uh, we had a a wonderful three-week break for our honeymoon, and we started a business, and we had no holiday then for the next three and a half years. We spent plenty of time taking off work, but we would always be going to a vineyard conference or another conference or being on a team in some other part of the country or the world uh, teaching churches uh, about ministry and so on. So we had a jewelry shop, and I had a bench in the shop, and I used to make jewelry for clients. Debbie managed the shop, and we were open six days a week. And during busy seasons like Christmas, because being open means money, we would sometimes stay open until past midnight just to catch some of the late trade that might wander up and uh, spend some money in our shop. Now, in three and a half years, I don't recall ever taking a single day off sick. Not, I should point out, because I wasn't ill. I probably was from time to time, but I just simply worked when I was ill. I did have one afternoon off that I remember. I was completely doubled up with stomach pain. I was unable to actually sit upright, and therefore, I did take an afternoon off. We went to New Zealand in 1986, and between conferences, we had a day in the mountains. It was a day completely clear, and I still have the photograph at home of me sitting on a horse, riding a horse in the New Zealand mountains, and thinking at the time, this is probably the first full day I've taken off in years. Day, a full day when I'd not been working, when I'd not been at a conference, when I'd not been at church. Just simply a day of relaxing. Now, you might say, You idiot. You know, you might well, with good reason, say that. It's by the grace of God that you didn't burn out. You're a workaholic. And I would have said, Well, no, I'm not. A workaholic is addicted to work. I'm not addicted to work. I don't do this to meet some need in myself. I'm just a really responsible sort of person. I might have been being defensive at that time. The following year, we moved to uh, help start the first vineyard in this country, Southwest London Vineyard, and I did two years of training, theological college training, uh, which unfortunately was eight trains a day Uh, two hours each way. So, four hours commuting. I could save a bit off that time if I was to leave at 6.20 in the morning and get a lift with somebody else to drive. So, I would do that many days and then get back, lead two small groups a week. We started the children's work and we did all sorts of other things. And we had a new baby who shared our room. So, every night was broken and disturbed through the night. And I remember being there in lectures asleep You know, just falling asleep in lectures when I was supposed to be paying attention. And also, I remember one day in the library just looking at my hand and trying to stop it shaking. So I realized I was getting quite close to some sort of physical breakdown if I didn't make some changes. And I was talking to a fellow student about life, and he said, well, what about the Sabbath? How are you doing with the Sabbath? And I said, you must be joking, Sabbath, I have so much to fit into my life that there is simply no way. If I tried to squeeze into six days what I'm currently doing in seven, it would kill me. And he kind of shrugged and said, well, you might like to read your Bible, and kind of left it at that. So I was a bit challenged about it, and then as I graduated from there, I started work with John Mumford, who was leading the Southwest London Vineyard, and he immediately challenged me on it. He spotted this in our life, and he just said, look, life's a marathon, not a sprint. And if you're going to be functioning for the long haul you have to get this sorted out and since then i have with almost without exception taken a full day off each week um, and my full holiday allowance give or take a few days because i realized that i was breaking the fourth commandment and i was actually living in disobedience to what the scriptures teach and i realized god gave us the sabbath because he cares for us if we neglect rest we're risking potential burnout. And it just occurs to me, you know when God talks about tithing, giving 10% of your income, he, with it comes a promise that the 90% will stretch at least as far as the 100% used to in our own strength. Same with time. If we'll do it in six days, we will get more done than we would otherwise in seven. So let's talk about the Sabbath. Some of you don't know what that word is because you've not been knocking around Christian circles very long but this is what it says in the Old Testament here, Exodus 20, God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments. Observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. You have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me. On that day, no one is to work. And it goes on to expand on that, and in my large print Bible here it expands over an entire half page. This is the longest of the Ten Commandments. He talks more about the Sabbath than he does about murder or adultery or anything else. And so clearly it's something which was important to God. It's as if he's saying, I want you to take this seriously. This is not a suggestion. I'm commanding you to take a day off each week. So today we're going to continue with this series on making room for more and focus tonight on making room for more rest. Now, I speak as someone who hasn't got this completely sorted out. My natural wiring and tendency would be to just keep going. If there's work to be done, just keep working. But it is something that I've been really personally very challenged about over these 30 years, and every year that passes, I seem to get more challenged and more aligned to what God probably intended. So, let's firstly look at what Sabbath means. essentially means day of rest. And uh, God says every seventh day, take a day of rest. Why? Mark 2, 27, Jesus said the Sabbath was made to benefit man, not man to benefit the Sabbath. And God's basically saying, I'm asking you to do this for your benefit. Every seven days, we need to get physically, emotionally, and spiritually recharged because our batteries run down every few days, and God as loving Father is looking after our needs. Although it became the custom for Christians to celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday, coming out of Judaism where they celebrated the Sabbath on a Saturday, uh, they adopted Sunday because it was the day on which Jesus rose again. Nowhere in the Bible does God command us to take Sundays off uh, or even especially to worship on a Sunday. It just works within the Christian world. In fact, Colossians 2, verse 16 says, as a Christian, you're no longer tied down by what day you celebrate the Sabbath on. So God doesn't really mind where it is. He just minds that it happens. And so for me and most of the pastors on staff here, Wednesday would be our day off when we would take our Sabbath. And if we don't manage to take it on a Wednesday, ministry, other stuff, engagements gets in the way, we just move it to Thursday or Friday or we try and take it the following week. Just try as a general rule. It kind of breathes. Not, we are not under law, we're not rigid about it, but we do make it a priority. Sabbath is not just a day of rest, it's also a holy day. Keep it holy. And holy essentially means set apart, different. Keep it different. God says, I want you to set one day a week apart to do something different to what you do the other six days of the week. So, on the seventh day, have a change, have a change of pace. How do I do that? Well, first of all, Use the Sabbath to rest physically. Psalm 127 verse 2 says this, God wants His loved ones to get their proper rest. God says, I want you to be rested. Your body needs a rest. And when God created the world, uh, it says that He took six days to create. And whether those are 24-hour periods or whether they're ages and eons really is not that important, but six periods of time to create And on the seventh day, he rested. He was modeling something, an important principle of life. Every seven days, take one off. And through history, we've seen the negative impact that attempts to overturn and not comply with this principle has had, including things like during the First World War. There was a great war effort, and so there were, people were encouraged, factory workers and so on, to work really long days and, you know, hardly without a break. And it was soon discovered that uh, workers who did this became less productive, more prone to costly mistakes, industrial accidents, than those workers who were working more sensible hours. So even during the most pressurized time in our history, the impact that a lack of rest had on productivity was recognized. There are now more work-saving devices than ever before. And you would think, and some decades ago they predicted we would just be living a life of leisure now because we had so many things that saved, you know, time. So it used to be that, you know, making bread, you would grind your own flour, then you'd knead all the yeast in, and then you'd bake it in the oven, which you lit with a coal fire or whatever, and your aga. And and now we just like buy a loaf of bread from the supermarket. And all over the place we have time-saving devices, work-saving devices, but actually we don't work probably any less than our predecessors did um, because we just do more. We stuff more into our lives. And the technologies that we now have around us, actually designed to save us time, actually begin to blur the time between work and rest. So there was a time when we were students, if we wanted to communicate, we arranged usually by writing a letter. Remember those when you actually wrote on paper and put in an envelope and a post box and with a stamp? and then they would write back a few days later. And so communication was obviously slower. You would arrange to make a phone call after 6 p.m. because it was cheaper then from a public phone box and call another public phone box on the other student campus across you know, another city to actually have a phone call. Now we're available instantly. Someone can direct messages on Facebook or they can text us or they can do just about, you know, phone us immediately. We're available. And many of us are available if you're not careful, 24 hours a day. Some people keep their phone on and on loud just in case all night by their bed. Why do they do that? In case something comes up. So in case someone needs me. Well, if they need you, they'll figure out another way. But, you know, many people, I wonder if I took a show of hands in this room, how many of you just before you go to bed have a look at your iPad or your laptop or your phone just, just to check? You're up to date with your emails and there's not many showing. Or you wake up first thing in the morning and just have a quick check on social media to see if anyone's liked you or or emailed you or or done some other sort of thing. Our bodies are not designed for non-stop work. Ecclesiastes 10:15 says only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. So whatever we do in our working life, we're just commanded to stop it one day a week. I recognize it's easier some than it is for others, but there probably are still ways, even if it's hard for you because of your life situation, just to find moments of rest or somehow build this principle into your life. For example, if you are a parent at home, there is seemingly a constant flow of work which demands your attention. So, you've just tidied the rooms, And you just put the kettle on, and before you've even sat down to have your cup of tea, it looks like a herd of wild animals has rampaged through your house. I know that that is, uh, you know, your experience very often. But as far as you can, I'd encourage you to maybe, you know, during the six days, get as much of that cleaning done as possible. And then on that day, don't do the laundry, don't do whatever else. And uh, here's a little three-word phrase I would really encourage you to remember. It can wait. It can wait. Nothing is that important that it needs to wreck your Sabbath. It can wait. Put off that until the following day. If you have a spouse and they do the majority of the domestic work at home, you might consider what tasks you don't normally do that you could actually do that day. Maybe cook the dinner. That may or may not be a blessing depending on whether you can cook. But if not, then maybe get a takeaway and sort it out and then wash up and then... Pick up after the children if you have them. Or even, here's a thought, pick up after yourself those coffee cups and things that seem to grow around the house. If you're in a small group in the life of the church, you might just want to think creatively on the back of this talk. Is there somebody in my small group who, for whom rest and anything that looks like a Sabbath really is just not happening? Maybe they're a lone parent. Maybe if you were to cook their dinner one day, on what might be their day off and to drop it round, Or maybe you would offer to look after their children so they could go out. Or maybe you'd, you'd uh, offer to do some task around the house. On holiday recently, I read this, this book, uh, excellent book called Rest by Alex Sooyoung Kim Pang. And it's subtitled, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less. And it really is irrefutable. It's 250 pages of just scientific evidence about rest and creativity, and it traces, uh, I don't know, a couple of hundred famous incredible productive people, and it tells you about their rest and work patterns, and it includes things like, it's not just, resting is not just stopping work, but things like deep play, hobbies, passionately engaged in hobbies, which are so good. and. Uh, Alex encourages us, instead of thinking about work and rest as opposites, really we need to think of them as partners. There's an ever-growing body of scientific research to suggest that reasonably spaced rest periods increase productivity over working continually. And neuroscientists have found that far from being dormant when we sleep and when we rest, even when we're daydreaming, parts of the brain that are inactive during work, become, they wake up and become active during rest. And they do all sorts of things, strengthen the brain, enhance our capacity to learn, be creative, problem solve, and they also improve our emotional intelligence. And let me just read you one little bit from here. He says, when we rest and let our minds wander, our brains are almost as active as when we're concentrating hard on a problem. Further, while we're not conscious of it, the resting brain turns out to be consolidating memories making sense of the past, and searching for solutions to problems that are occupying our waking hours. And there are a number of companies around the world, progressive companies, uh, in things like uh, creation of computer games, or Pixar, I think probably does this, and all sorts of really progressive companies who have in their communal workspace, is not just a row of desks, get back to your desk, but they have space where maybe they've created a beach with some hammocks pretend palm trees of view, music, or the sound of the ocean playing, and you're allowed whenever you want just to go and lay in a hammock and have a chat with the person in the hammock next to you or just kind of daydream. And you think, what are you doing? What a waste. I mean, part of the waste of money in spending it on the space and all that kit. And then, you know, we need our guys at the desk. We need them creating, being creative. The reason they do it, of course, is because when you're in a hammock, you think, how am I going to solve this problem? You know, you think at your desk, you know, what are we going to do with it? How do we... Sit in the hammock, and before you know, you go, That could work. And then you get back to your desk, and before you know it, a whole year's worth of work is turned around on an idea which comes in that resting time. It's really fascinating. I would encourage you to read that book, especially if you're someone who's not very good at rest. Get it and read it. It's fascinating. When I was a young boy, I had a bow and arrow, and uh, I didn't know this when I got the bow, but it's basically straight or very nearly straight. And this string has loops on each end. And in order to use the bow and arrow, you have to string it. So you put one loop on the bottom. You put your foot against the bottom of the bow. And then you bend the bow with all your might. And then you pop the loop over the top of the bow. And then you have a traditional-looking bow and arrow. Then when you pull it back, it's got a lot of tension and a lot of power. And you can shoot an arrow a great distance. At the end of it, you have to unstring it. If you leave it highly strung, it'll become weaker and weaker. you need to just let it, get, you know, bend it again, take the string off, and then it goes almost straight again. Put it in your cupboard, come back to it in three weeks' time. If you didn't, you came back in three weeks' time to a highly strung bow, you would discover it had almost no strength. It would not shoot an arrow hardly anywhere because you've, you've ruined it by too much tension. Being highly strung, that's where I think the phrase originates, is to do with bows and arrows. But a highly strung person who never stops to rest is not going to do well. When we don't observe this fourth commandment, we can sometimes find that we end up involuntarily observing it by spending a few days in bed sick, or maybe having to slow down to recover from exhaustion over a longer period of time. It seems that untaken Sabbaths have an accumulating effect. They catch up on us if we just ignore this completely. And it's interesting as we look at the land in the Old Testament. So we have the Sabbath laws in the book of Exodus, and this it talks about the land and then about the people. So let me just read you this from Exodus 23, verse 10. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days, do your work, but on the seventh day, do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the slave born in your household, the word servant is used three chapters before, interchangeable terms, I guess, and the alien as well may be refreshed. So basically, do your work, and on the seventh day, everyone in your entire household, including your animals, your ox and your donkey, everybody gets a day off. At some point in Israel's history... And I'd be fascinated if any of you would really find the source of this. I got it from James Ryle, a friend of mine who's since gone to be with the Lord, so I can't check with him. But he said there was a period of time, which I'm guessing was around the time of the kingship being uh, in place with Saul. From that point, they did not let the land rest. They just ignored the Sabbath rule. So about 490 years later, God addressed the nation through the prophet Jeremiah. So in a period of 490 years from the institution of the monarchy through to the exile, they didn't let the land rest. So if every seven years they were supposed to have a year off, how many years didn't they let it rest? 490 divided by seven anybody is 70. So fascinating, in a period of 490 years, they didn't give it the 70 years of rest. Jeremiah is prophesying 586 B.C. Jeremiah 25, verse 8, says this, "'Therefore the Lord Almighty says, "'Because you've not listened to my words,' and they were much more to do with behavior and worshiping other gods and all sorts of things than it was about the Sabbath, "'but you've not listened to my words. "'I will summon all the peoples of the north, "'and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon,' declares the Lord, "'and I will bring them against this land "'and its inhabitants. "'This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, "'and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years.'" a desolate wasteland in that previous text. Let your land lie unplowed and unused. And they were taken into exile, and by the rivers of Babylon, they sat down and wept when they remembered Zion, when they remembered Jerusalem, when they remembered God and the prophetic words to them. Jeremiah 29 verse 10 says, This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Isaiah said in Isaiah 45, I will raise up, this is God speaking, Cyrus, in my righteousness I will make his way straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. So this is predicting what will happen. And Cyrus, sure enough, the Persian king overthrew the Babylonian empire, became the world, the dominant world power of the day, and Cyrus let the people begin to return from exile 70 years after they were taken to Babylon. I believe there's a principle here, if we choose to disregard God's instructions on how we might live, we may find that it catches up on us. It's it's not a direct teaching of Scripture, but I think it's a very interesting and sobering thought. So, we're not just physically tired, we're also emotionally tired. So, using the Sabbath to recharge emotionally. physical. Fatigue is when our body gets worn out, you know, gets tired. Emotional fatigue is when our emotions get tired. You know, you can take the whole weekend off. Perhaps you sleep in, sleep through much of it, just laze around, and still go back to work on Monday feeling drained because physical rest is not enough. In our culture, emotional fatigue is a far greater problem than physical fatigue because most of us don't work hard physically. We don't do manual labor. In fact, for those of us who don't do manual labor, working physically may actually be restful. If you're a professional gardener, you may well not find that working all day in your garden on your day off is going to be that replenishing. But if you work at a desk all week, you may well find that working up a sweat, digging and planting is actually really replenishing on a day off. For some of you, you'd count Sunday as your Sabbath, and you're here maybe once or twice a month serving in some area of ministry. That's work, yes, but it can still be restful in that it is different to what you do during the week. And also, as part of your expression of worship, it can be especially meaningful. You know, a change, they say, don't they, is as good as a rest. And so it's not about not working. Rest can actually be quite involving, quite physical, but a change is the key thing. How do you get replenished emotionally? Well, it will depend on your personality, and I would encourage you to reflect on what makes you feel replenished, what delights you, what fills you up emotionally, so that you can build that into your rest time. For some of you, more introverted folks, spending time on your own is the way you would get recharged. For others of you, that sounds abhorrent, you just want to be with people, that's where you get fed emotionally with other people. Here's a couple of things you might consider building into your time off. First of all, include time for quietness. We live in a world of noise pollution. It's just constant. And it's really hard to find a place where we can be totally quiet. And we would do well to make room for that in our life. So reading a good book or a magazine or walking, researching something interesting on the internet, listening to music, curling up by an open fire, roasting chestnuts was one of our favorite things to do. We don't have an open fire anymore, but just unhurried, unpressurized time, relaxing time. Many people try and squeeze as much into their time as possible, spending the whole weekend doing things with their family and their friends and pursuing their hobby or their favorite sport or doing things to the house or garden. They're going shopping, they're catching up on the latest box set, but they never have any quiet time alone and they don't know why they're still stressed out when they go back to work. So whether it's built into a day off or whether at other points in the week it's important to get alone and have some quiet time. So for me, I am an introvert when I get anxious, I get stressed, I get hurried. When I can't afford the time to stop, very often that's when I will. I just go out for a walk, go and sit by a river, get on my motorbike, ride to a lake, sit by a lake as I will do tomorrow, and, uh, or as I did last week. You do you know, um, those of you who don't drink cognac, brandy, you probably don't know the optimum temperature to drink it at, but it's very similar to that of a bath. And so what I did this week was run a really deep, warm bath, and I got a huge brandy bowl, and I put you know, some brandy in it, and I popped it in the bath and span it, and let it just warm through, and then I joined it in the bath for, for about an hour. Whatever it is that you love to do, building quiet, relaxed time into your life is very important. Psalm 23 verse 3 says, He, this is the Lord, leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Quietness and soul restoration go together. When life's going a bit too fast for me, that's what I do. Take off, sit by a river or by a lake. And some of you follow me on social media will see me occasionally posting pictures from time to time of of some of those moments, like this one was from a couple of weeks ago. Someone said, you need to come apart. If you don't come apart, you will come apart. Rick Warren talks about a missionary who was on a jungle safari, and they've been walking for a few days, you know, just long distance, and this jungle safari guide said, we're going to rest today so that our souls can catch up with our bodies. Have you ever felt that way? Hurried, peddling hard, the pace of life's just going and going, and I, need, I just need to stop so my soul can catch up with my body. Part of getting emotionally replenished is to include time for replenishing relationships. So if we have a family, they're our first priority, actually, to spend time with them. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 9 says this, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. So, only applies if you're a married man, of course, but let me encourage any married men here this evening, on your day off, go home, play with your children if you have them, and talk to your wife, or talk to your kids and play with your wife, whatever you find the most replenishing. If we have a family, we're entrusted with relationships which need to be invested in. And as we invest in our marriage and our children, you know, those relationships may not at the moment for some of you be that replenishing with your spouse or with your children, but there is no doubt that investing in those relationships will enhance them. They will be more replenishing as a result of paying attention to them. We are very blessed. We have both our lads and their wives and my grandson living here in Nottingham, and often on a day off, it's a highlight for us to spend the evening probably, uh, you know, barbecuing with them or... Or getting a takeaway, or something like that. We also need time with friends, now friends in the church, friends outside the church. And uh, Sunday is often a great time for spending time with friends, obviously within the church. Uh, Hebrews 10:25 says, let's not give up the habit of meeting together, instead let's encourage one another. You know, it is tough sometimes being a, a believer out there in the world. We need each other. We need encouragement and to uplift each other when we're down and to inspire and challenge each other. And, and being here on a Sunday is a regular thing. is really, really helpful. You know, nobody leaves, walks out of a gym regretting that they went. And I would say it's the same very often in churches. No one really leaves after being here at a Sunday service. They think, my, my week's too busy. Do I have time to go? I don't, oh, I don't think I'll go. Oh, okay, I'll go. And then they come. They don't usually walk away thinking, That was a waste of time they normally feel i'm glad i was there meeting with god and meeting with god's people and lastly we would do well to use the sabbath to refocus spiritually sunday which is a sabbath for many people is a day to worship to get our focus on god a time to remember really what's important and to get spiritually replenished many people use Sunday to take care of their physical rest and their emotional replenishment, and so they have recreation, they have relationships, but they ignore their most important need to be spiritually replenished. It's not just about our day off. Of course, we would build that into our whole week, time spent with God, whether that's chatting to Him, talking through the things that are on our mind and the various things going on in our life, um, and getting centered again in God, and Sunday is a great time to do that especially. This world can place great demands on us, and it's very easy to define ourselves by those things that we do which keep us busy, whether that's our job or our parenting or other caring responsibilities or something else. But as we heard from Dave Ellis two weeks ago, our identity is first of all as a child of God. So as we use our day off to slow down and to refocus spiritually, we can also remind ourselves that before any of those other demands are placed on us, we are God's loved, beloved sons and daughters. A couple of weeks ago, I replaced my 20-year-old motorcycle with one which is just three years old, and I'm extremely excited because I'm going to the Lake District on it tomorrow. And uh, with it, I received this little red book. This is called The Owner's Manual, and it's a very important little book. It has 270 pages. There are a lot of pictures, admittedly, but I have read most of the content in the last two weeks because it's very important. It tells me how to do various things so that, you know, I want to keep this bike for at least 15 years. So, you know, how to keep the bike running in tip top condition. So, keep the tire pressures correct, learn how the controls all work, check the oil and the fluid levels. And it tells me in here the maintenance schedule. So if I do certain things at certain times, my bike will last me a long time. I need to change the oil every single year, top up the fluids, replace the air filter in due time, and so on. This is written by the manufacturer. It's written by Ducati, who designed the bike, who knows everything uh, about how to enable it to run at peak performance for the duration of its life. Now, the only owner's manual for our lives see the similarity, is the Bible. That is written by the manufacturer, the one who designed us, who knows everything about how to enable us to run at peak performance for the duration of our lives. And God says the maintenance schedule involves rest. It involves a Sabbath. It involves every seventh day taking a day off to get rest physically, replenished emotionally, and recharged spiritually. So, it's not just… The fourth commandment you know in this list of do's and don'ts i've got to do this i'm not allowed to do this like it's some chore they're all in there for a flourishing life if any of us would begin to obey the ten commandments on a regular basis our relationships will be enhanced society would just be completely transformed it's the best for us and for human flourishing this commandment and this talk is not intended to make anyone feel guilty about not taking a day off but really The truth is that God is clever. He understands us. He knows how we function. He made us. And He knows that if we keep that commandment, we will be far more effective and we will last longer than any other way. And we benefit physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So I want to challenge some of you who don't take this seriously to think about it. Think about taking this commandment seriously. We're not not under law to observe exact days. The Lord doesn't seem to mind us reshuffling our schedules. And as I say, this breathes. It's not about, you know, alarm clock goes off and you've got to do this exactly every once in seven. But roughly speaking, build that, I would encourage you into your life. And if you're doing too much to take a day off, as I said at the beginning, when that person challenged me first of all, it's like, you must be joking. I couldn't fit it into six days. Then it's worth considering this. For each of us, there are good works which God created in advance for us to do. So if we can't fit everything we have to do into our, you know, into our life, then we're doing too much, which essentially means we're doing some of the good works that God created someone else to do, and we need to stop doing them. The philosopher Socrates once said this, beware the barrenness of a busy life. For some of us here, we're filling our lives with so much that we're spreading ourselves too thinly and we're not fully embracing and experiencing the abundant life that God has for us. If uh, the story I told of how hard I was working at the beginning describes where you are now, then I just hope there's something you can take away from this talk that will really be a help and blessing to you. In Alex Pang's books, he says this, rest has never been something you do when you've finished everything else. If you want rest, you have to take it. You have to resist the lure of busyness. Make time for rest, take it seriously and protect it from a world that is intent on stealing it. Some of us here today, maybe we're sat here thinking, well this talk's all very well in August when, yeah, there's a bit of a slowing down of pace. Or it may be all right for you, John, you've got a more flexible schedule than my working schedule uh, might be. You know, or you may be thinking, I'd love to make time for rest, but I simply can't. Well, it's true, life is stressful, but there are things I believe that God will enable every one of us to put in place in order to begin to fulfill this, to help us. And one skill or tool that I had to learn, uh, because I was rubbish at it, was a little bit of time management. And when I'm doing that well, which isn't all the time, when I plan my life, I plan my workload, and I put chunks of things into my, my diaries run on my phone, and so I can do it on my computer, and my PA puts stuff in, and it all kind of works. I know exactly what I'm good at doing for the next couple of weeks. Um, It gives me the flexibility to do two things. One, to say no to other things, because I know what I've got on, and so I can say, you know, I can't do that because, you know, it's not gonna fit. And the other thing is that I can be flexible because I know what I'm planning, it's not just a never-ending to-do list and I'm under pressure all the time. I know what I'm doing, and so if someone needs me, I can just go and be with someone you know, in their hour of need. Or if something fun comes up, you know, someone calls up and says, hey, I've got a spare ticket to the British Grand Prix. Are you free on Saturday? I don't have to say, oh my goodness, I've got to prepare my sermon before Sunday. Sorry, I can't come. Forget it, if any of you ever get the tickets you know, for the British Grand Prix, you know where I am and you know that I'll be probably available. When I'm not doing well on time management, I do find sometimes that the pressure of life can become overwhelming. And in those times, the most important thing we can remember is who is in control. First of all, we have a place of control. We have decision-making power in our own life to a great extent, not to a full extent, I admit, in some cases. But the Bible is full of reminders, be still, be still and know that I am God, God says. "Be still." and wait for the Lord. You don't have to fret and stress and be anxious about trying to make this thing happen. Wait for the Lord. He'll pave the way. He can change things. Be still, even in the most stressful times. And God comments on that in Exodus 34 21. On the seventh day, you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. So that means don't work on the Sabbath, even during the busiest seasons of your life, though the seeds may be planted later than you'd hoped or the harvest may get rained on, it may mess with your plans. We can learn to rest, even in the most hectic and stressful times, because as we seek to live life the way God designed us to live it, we can be confident that He will look after us. So the Sabbath was made for us, not us for the Sabbath. I would encourage you to take a day off each week which is set apart, is different to the other six days, a day to get rested physically, get replenished emotionally, and refreshed spiritually.